Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. If you are a guest today, God has been giving us the opportunity uh, to travel through um, what the Bible calls the tabernacle. The word tabernacle just means tent. It's the idea of a portable dwelling place. And, uh, and so uh, we're going to take some time today to continue to study about this tabernacle. But here's what I need you to understand. Um, a lot of times when you go treasure hunting, it takes a little while before you find the treasures. It just takes a lot of digging. And that digging sometimes uh, can seem a little monotonous. Um, if, you, if you're looking for artifacts, they just don't pop up every day. There's a reason uh, there are people who take the time to search those things out and find them. And that is literally what we're doing in this study of the tabernacle. And I'm hoping that some of those treasures and artifacts are going to begin to rise to the surface as God encourages your heart. I, and, and again, the tabernacle is not something that we necessarily, uh, as far as that tinted structure, deal with today. But man, there are so many beautiful things that tie in uh, to who God is and what he means for us today. And I just want to be sure we take the time to look at it. So open your Bibles, first of all, this morning to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter number 27. Now, um, if you did not get a handout this morning, our team is ready to help you with that, and this will help you navigate the sermon. So raise your hand high in the air. If you did not get a handout this morning, they're coming around. Looks like there's quite a bit of you. There's an ink pen available if you need one uh, somewhere in a chair in front of you. Hopefully you can find uh, that so that you can follow along and take notes. And here's what we're going to do. We are going to get caught up again because I recognize if we're going to journey through this, we've got to know where we've been and, and then uh, get our heading again of, of where we're going. And so grab your pen, grab your note, and get your Bible in your lap, whether it be digital or paper. I want you to follow along. You say, Pastor, I don't have a Bible. Then look in the under the chair in front of you in the rack, and there might be a Bible in there for you. If you don't own one, it is yours. If you do own one, put it back when you're done, but feel free uh, to use that this morning. So basically, uh, here we go. We're going to try to stay organized. We're, we're trying to answer three questions, okay? Question number one, why the tabernacle? And the answer to that is so that God could move toward his people, Okay, uh, then why the details? Question number two. Why are there so many details surrounding the tabernacle? And the answer is found in this, because of the holiness of God. And that is where we were last week. It is where we're going to be today and then next Sunday as well. We're going to talk about that uh, in just a moment. And then thirdly, uh, why does it matter? And, and, and then in the closing messages of this series at the Tabernacle, uh, we're going to dive into that and get an understanding of why it matters. And so that's where we are. Why the Tabernacle? Then why so many details? And then why does it matter right now? Okay, so with that being said, um, we launched last week into this idea 
of the holiness of God. And, and, and this is so important. Why? Because if you are a casual attender to church, this stuff just doesn't make sense to you. Matter of fact, I'll say this. If you are an attender that is here every Sunday, but you're not a student of the word of God, it still may not make sense. And so it's, it's, it's important for us um, who are students of God's word to understand why God set this whole process up and what it means to us right now. And it's wrapped around this idea of the holiness of God. If God is going to meet with us, it, it, it's going to come with some requirements, okay? So, so let's get caught up geographically and historically to what has happened. God's people, Israel, is now in captivity in Egypt, okay? And they have cried out to God to be released from this. And God sends Moses and 10 different plagues upon which he defines himself to his people and to Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh says, yes, I'll let your people go. They leave, uh, they cross the Red Sea. The Red Sea falls on Pharaoh and his army. They take a short trip from the Red Sea to the Mount, uh, come with, some would call it Sinai or Sinai is what I would say. So now they're at Mount Sinai and they're at the bottom of the Mount and they wanna, uh, they, 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 they're to talk to God, to meet with God. God wants to meet with them. The Bible says that he had chosen them to be a kingdom of priest, a kingdom of people that he was going to communicate to. And so now they're at the bottom of the mountain. There's this barrier they can't cross. Only Moses gets to go up into the cloud. And then God speaks. And when he does, it is powerful. It is big. It is moving. It is majestic. It is beyond anything any human could understand. And they kind of um, shy away from his power and his greatness. And so can I put it this way? God goes to plan B. Now, uh, with God, there is no plan B when it comes to his sovereignty. We understand that. But God within his sovereignty knew that the people would not be able to handle his direct speaking to them. And so he says, tabernacle, a tent of meeting, a place where I can be among you, where I can move towards you, um, but it's gonna come with some directions and some details. And the reason for the details is because I am holy, saith the Lord. Now, this is something we're not familiar with in our world today. And we tried, we tried to define that last week. If you were not here, please go back. You can find it on YouTube, Facebook, or on our podcast and listen to this message on the holiness of God. But in, in definition, let, let's put it this way. The holiness of God refers to the unparalleled majesty of his, listen, incomparable being and his blameless, faultless, unblemished, moral purity. And here's the key phrase that sets him apart from anything and everything else. So God's holiness, not his love, God's holiness, not his sovereignty, God's holiness, not his judgment, God's holiness, not his attribute of being omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. Listen, God's holiness is what sets him apart from everyone else, every other God, and every other thing. God is holy. He is righteous. He is perfect. He is blameless. He is pure. Nothing matches him. Nothing compares to him. Nothing. 
That's holiness. But this holy, right, good God wants to move toward his people. How is he going to do that? And this is what we're seeing in this study on the tabernacle. So again, in your notes to recap from last week, holiness is found in the details. And here are the three details. Last week, we discussed that holiness demands separation. Matter of fact, let's again share the picture from last week showing the tabernacle, the courtyard, and how it was separated from God's people. So God gives instructions for this to be built. And there's this outer courtyard with a gate. You cannot enter the gate unless a process is fulfilled. Secondly, there's a door. You cannot enter through the door unless you're a certain individual. And then thirdly, there's a veil, and you cannot enter through the veil, again, unless you're a certain individual. A process, a people, different parts is what makes up this whole entire tabernacle. And so we see that outer court. I notice this. This is really cool. The further you go in, the closer you get to your God. And isn't that the intent and heart of God? The heart of God is to be among his people. But now we're discussing the holiness of God, and the holiness of God demands separation. Uh, notice the separation. Where are all the tents uh, on the outside? The, the separation of a holy God inside the courtyard, inside the tent, inside the holy of holies. All right? So, number one, again, Number one, holiness demands separation. Number two, this is what we're going to be studying today. Holiness demands reconciliation. Big word. We're going to define it in just a minute. Holiness demands reconciliation. And then next Sunday, we'll um, finish this discussion on holiness. Holiness demands adoration. So let's jump into this second part. Holiness demands reconciliation. What a big word. When I hear the word reconciliation, the first word that catches my opinion, uh, opinion, I just made that up. That's a brand new word. Uh, The first word that uh, comes to my attention uh, is the word reconcile. Uh, This week, if you're in the business world, you reconciled something, meaning uh, you took what was on the left and you had to make sure it lined up with what was on the right. Now, this is so important when it comes to this word reconciliation. Defined, it means this. To reconcile means to restore, to be made right. To restore or to be made right. Listen, listen, listen. In order for me to come into the presence of, an, of a holy God as a sinner, reconciliation has to happen. Meaning this, I've got to be made right. Now, here's the crazy thing. The word currency oftentimes shows itself when the word reconciliation or reconcile comes to play. All right? So if I'm going to reconcile something, I've got to uh, bring currency into it to make it right. But here's the deal. And In the economy of God, money is not the currency. In the economy of God, blood is the currency. Blood is the way. So so let me illustrate it this way. Um, In order to get to God, I will not be able to be religious and pay my way to God. Now, please listen to this and don't miss it. Because I would say that in this room, there would be people who are banking on the wrong currency in order to get to God. 
Religion says this, organized religion says, if you, wanna, if you want to get to God, you have got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and if you do all of these things, then God will accept you. That's what religion says. By the way, that's why religion holds us captive. That is not the currency of God. The currency of God is not your actions or your good deeds or your works. Hey, God, so I, I know I'm not a perfect guy, but here's what I'm hoping. Here's what I'm banking on. I'm banking on that God sees that I'm a pretty good dude, that I'm, I'm, I'm a decent father. I'm a good husband. I mean, I, I come to church as often as I can. I'm not perfect. I get that. But I'm hoping God, I'm banking on the fact that God is going to recognize that I'm, I'm willing to lay my coat in a mud puddle for the lady to cross over. I'm cool with that. I'm a good guy. Okay, so what you're telling me is in order to have atonement, in order for you to enjoy reconciliation, you're banking on your deeds and your works to make that happen, but that is not God's currency. And this is what the tabernacle is gonna show us, and this is great. God's currency is blood. Life is in the blood. And we're gonna see that as we walk through this, and I hope we can come to a conclusion upon what we're currently banking on for eternal life, for um, presence with God, uh, just like they had to depend on this as well. Reconciliation, to restore, to be made right. So basically, uh, we're going to break this down into hopefully three non-confusing simple steps. Okay? Reconciliation, the parts the parts of the tabernacle that show reconciliation. Number two, reconciliation, the process. And then thirdly, reconciliation, the people, the individuals, all right? So that's our three steps this morning. The parts, the process, the people. Here we go. Reconciliation, the parts. Let's open up the word of God and see what he has for us. So look in your Bible at Exodus chapter number 27. I hope most of you are already there. I'll be there in just a second. Exodus chapter number 27. And I want us to see uh, the plans for this actual um, uh, place. So, now, now, first of all, uh, look at the, the pick uh, of the gate. Uh, the, the first part of the tabernacle was this place called the gate. And this is where people would come in, obviously. I don't want to be obvious, but I do want us to recognize it because the word is coming, a coming in. There has to be a coming in for reconciliation to take place, all right? So this is where uh, they would enter. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll read this in a moment. This is where the priest would take the animal of sacrifice at the gate. He would slit his throat and the blood would begin to pour out. They would take a basin and let the blood fill up the basin. And then the priest would take the basin into the courtyard and another priest would bring the animal along with the people. Now, we'll talk about the process that leads up to all of that in just a moment. But the coming in has to happen through the gate. So secondly, we see uh, the altar itself. Matter of fact, I would like to do this. Let's read it. Exodus chapter 27 are the instructions for building this altar. And we'll kind of break it down as we read it together. Chapter 27 and verse number 1. And thou shalt make an altar out of shittim wood. By the way, another word for that, maybe in the text that you're reading, is a wood. Uh, same thing, five cubits long, five cubits broad. 
the altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. Now, uh, this is not in our English measurements, but if you take their measurements and our English measurements, um, it would be seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet square, four and a half feet tall. So a seven by seven box that was four and a half feet tall. Now notice what happens next as we continue to read. The Bible says in verse number two, and thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. Now, I want to pause here and, and give some understanding to this idea of horns. Hold your finger in Exodus chapter 27, flip over to Psalm 18 verse 2. I'll give you a second to do that. Hold your finger in, uh, there in Exodus 27 and flip over to Psalm uh, 18 and verse number 2. Why, why horns? on the altar. What does it mean? Why is that significant? I hope uh, as, you're, as you're looking at this in just a moment, you're going to see. Uh, we're going to read this and then show you the slide. Psalm 18 and verse number two. Notice what the Bible says. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler, ready, and the horn of what? My salvation. And my high tower, Luke chapter one, verse 69, you don't have to turn there, says, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for this is the house of his servant, David. The idea of this horn was the idea and the significance to this people of salvation. Hope is found in the horn. The idea of strength that comes because of salvation. Now watch, upon each of the corners of this box was a horn. So, so notice the slide, the picture of the actual, um, the altar uh, that was built. So again, seven by seven box, four and a half feet tall. Every corner had an, had an horn. Let's continue reading. The Bible says, and his horn shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. This is significant. Um, again, th these are things that you and I as English-speaking people, non-Jewish people, and also uh, people who are not necessarily stu students of uh, Jewish culture, history, the Bible, would may not recognize some things that are tied in. So in the Bible, wood is always a picture of earthen vessels, uh, humanity. Uh, to overlay something with brass was the idea of judgment. So when you walked into the outer courtyard, everything made was made of wood and everything made was overlaid in that outer courtyard with brass. The altar was overlaid with brass and the laver was overlaid with brass. But here's what's interesting. Once that process is done and you walk through the tent door, everything on the inside of the tent, including the Holy of Holies, was made of wood and covered in what? gold. There's a difference. You say, I thought it was just random. There's nothing about this random. And that's what we're trying to point out. In the outside, the process of sacrifice, humanity covered in judgment. In the inside, the process of Christ, humanity covered in power, authority, kingliness, God and man separated. You can see the pictures in the makings. Let's continue to read. And thou shalt make, verse 4, for it a grade of network of brass, and upon the net shalt, thou shalt make four base, uh, brazen rings in the four corners thereof. Simply what this means is about halfway through the uh, altar was a grill grate. Makes sense. We can see that. You got your grill at the house. You open the lid, and there's a grate laying there that you lay uh, the meat on for 
lunch today, hallelujah, right? And so you understand the logic. There's a grate here over again, woven uh, with brass, and there are all kinds of different tools. The Bible says in verse five, and thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar. This is the grate beneath, and that the net may be even to the midst of the altar in the middle. And thou shalt make staves for the altar, staves of shittim wood, overlay them with brass. Now, let me pause just here just to explain this quickly. The staves are, uh, go back to the picture if you would, Dakota. Uh, the staves are those rods that are sticking through, and these rods would slide in and out. Matter of fact, the rods would not have been there when sacrifice was going on. Uh, the rods would have probably been uh, put away, or they may have stayed there. Uh, according to what I have found, I have seen no significance to whether they were or not. But you can see that would be quite the tripping hazard while you're trying to do sacrifice, would it not? Uh, the staves were run through the rings and the sides, so when it came time for transport, the priest would pick it up, and they would carry four of them, or maybe more, upon their shoulders. They would walk carrying. Those are the transportation rods for moving this, this altar. Let's continue reading. And thou shalt make staves for the altar, staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with brass. And the staves shall be put on the rings, and the staves shall be upon the two sides of the altar to bear it. Hollow with boards thou shalt make it, as it has showed thee in the mount, so shall thou make it. So here are the instructions for this, this brazen altar found in Exodus chapter 27. So now you've got this altar at the entrance of the courtyard. Matter of fact, in the morning, if a, if a Hebrew would enter the courtyard, he would see uh, the altar. The sun would be to his back. He would be facing west. Um, some believe that this is uh, done of God so that the Hebrew people would recognize something opposite of the Egyptian people who worshiped the sun god Ra in the mornings when they got up, their heart and mind and face would not be to the sun, but would be to one God and one God alone looking in his direction. Of course, we know over the evening that would shift, but that is just a, a thought that has been tossed out. When we look at this construction and how it's overlaid with bronze and how there are pans and shovels and bases and flesh hooks and all kinds of things we can recognize, there's just a lot of things happening around the altar. And the reason is, is because God is working to show his mighty power in our lives. Now, what is the purpose of it all? In your notes, we, 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 we're recognizing several things. We're recognizing the parts and the purpose. What is the purpose of it all. Why an altar? Why is it there? And the answer is in our word today. The answer is in this idea that God has given to us of reconciliation. And reconciliation is going to require something called atonement. The word atonement means covering. We'll talk about that in detail in just a minute. So you've got this altar, and we're going to see in a moment that its purpose was a covering, a place of covering and atonement. But thirdly, the laver. We saw the gate. We saw the altar. Now we're going to see the laver. This laver is just a little basin of water, little bowls made around, because here's why. As a matter of fact, my, um, my hunt begins, it began Friday, and it goes through this coming Friday. And me and Reese and Rustin all got drawn this year and we'll depart this afternoon. And our heart's desire is to um, shoot a poor, beautiful little whitetail coos deer uh, for dinner, okay? And, uh, and so uh, when that happens, amen, 
when that happens, right, Dakota? Uh, uh, when it happens, uh, there in the field, we'll field dress it. We'll, we'll cut it open. Blood's going to drain out. We're going to clean some things out. We're going to get it all ready for transport, get it back to the house to break it all up to have it for dinner. Okay, so uh, when that happens, we're going to have really bloody bloody hands. There's going to be blood all over our hands, blood on our wrists, probably. Dakota says, no, I'm amazing. I can do it without blood ever getting on me. You're the man, uh, but we'll see about that. But you get the idea. Okay, can you imagine at sacrifice, the animal's at the gate, they slit its throat, the blood pours out. This was before the days of latex gloves. Okay, are you with me? All right, so now they got blood on their hands. They get blood on their feet. They carry the blood in a basin to the altar. When they get to the altar, they'll take some of it and put it on each of the horns of the altar. And then they'll take more blood and sprinkle it around the top of the altar on the sides of the altar, okay? And once that process is done, then they're gonna skin it and the skin's gonna be given to the priest and all the flesh is gonna be put upon the altar. At that moment, it's gonna start to burn. They're gonna be covered in blood. There's no peeling off of latex gloves and changing of outfits. It is going to the laver because the work's not done. They still have to enter into the door of the holy place. So they wash all the blood off their feet. They rinse. They also use it to rinse certain body parts when God instructs that they be clean before they put on the altar. This labor is for the cleansing aspect to go do the work of God. Do you see that? The cleansing prior to the work. Okay. Uh, the parts. Number two, the process. Reconciliation is found in the process. Now, that process is not found in Exodus chapter number 27. Are you ready? Are you ready? Everybody ready? That process is found in Leviticus. No groans. Okay, no groans. All right? We don't want any groans. I, and I'm serious. Uh, because I know we'll, we'll get to reading the Bible. We get to Leviticus. It's like, oh, Leviticus. Oh, it's a book of so many don'ts and do's and details and sizes and instruments and measurements and days and moments. Oh, man, we just really get bogged down. But look, but look, the holiness of God is found in the details. All right, and now we're going to have to go to Leviticus to see the process. Exodus 27 are the parts. Leviticus is the process. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Leviticus chapter number 1. Leviticus chapter number one. And look, I don't, I really don't want to bore you, but I want you to see this for yourself. And I want us to read Leviticus chapter number one. We're only going to read in detail just the first burnt offering. Um, and then uh, we'll kind of highlight uh, the rest of them. And, and I've given you the references for you to read at home uh, in your notes. So let's look at this idea of reconciliation. Reconciliation is the process of coming willingly with a sacrifice. And if you want to fill these in early, you can, or just wait till I get there. But there's three parts of the process. There's the coming willingly with a sacrifice. And then in a moment, we're going to see the covering, the covering for sin. And then thirdly, we're going to see the cleansing for service. These are all three parts of the process. I use, I, I've sat in services like this and man, I get so frustrated. I'm a note taker when, when, when the speaker just says it one time and he moves on and then I don't have what I need. I, that's why I keep saying it over and over again. All right. So three parts of this process. Okay. First of all, there's the coming in. Second of all, there's the covering. Thirdly, there's the cleansing. Okay, we're going to talk about all three of those, and I'll mention each one of them again. All right, so here we go. 
the covering or the coming in. You say, man, pastor, you're getting out of order yourself. I am because there's just so much here. The coming in. Let's read it together. Leviticus chapter one. And the Lord God and the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, if any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle, the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priest, Aaron's sons, and shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put the fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in the water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice and an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. And of his offerings be of the flocks namely of the sheep or of the goats for a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it male without blemish. And he shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord. And the priest Aaron's son shall sprinkle his blood round about upon the altar. And he shall cut it into the pieces with his head and his fat. And the priest shall lay them in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water. And the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord." Thirdly, and if the burnt sacrifice for his offering to the Lord be of fowls, he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of young pigeons, and the priest shall bring it unto the altar and wring off his head and burn it on the altar, and the blood thereof shall be wrung out on the side of the altar. And he shall pluck away his crop with his feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east part by the place of the ashes. And he shall cleave it with the wings thereof, but shall not divide it asunder, and the priest shall burn it upon the altar." Upon the wood that is upon the fire, it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. So here we go. There are five of these. There are five different offerings if you exclude a drink offering. There are five different offerings that are brought before the Lord by the people. This is the first one. It's called the burnt offering. And literally, here's what would happen. Again, the story is told that the one offering the animal would come to the gate with the animal alive. At that moment, he would take his hand and place it upon the head of the altar, signifying what uh, should happen to me, I transfer what I am doing, I transfer to the animal. At that moment, either the one sacrificing or the priest would take a knife, cut its throat. Its blood would then be carried by the individual or the priest toward the altar. When they got to the altar, they would take the blood. They would put it upon the four horns, like I said, sprinkle it around about. Okay. All right. Then it would be skinned. The skins were given to the priests for their families. And then the rest of it was divided and the priest would set it upon the altar to burn it. Some parts were washed, some parts weren't, but all of it was burnt. All right. So we've got a graph up here and we're going to kind of walk through this rapidly. Okay. For the sake of time. And you need to take the time to study this more when you get home. But um, here are the, the five different offerings. The burnt offering was an atonement for sin that enabled a whole, an unholy people to pr- approach a holy God uh, for the significance of dedication of themselves to the Lord. Here's what they were saying. Just as this animal is holy being given to God, I wholly give myself 
itself to God. May its blood cover my sin and may its complete burning be a smoke or a smell unto the Lord uh, that is sweet. Now, here's the difference between this one and the other four. The other four offerings were not burnt in its entirety. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. How many of you have ever uh, began to smell something burning in the kitchen? Would you say there's a difference between done and burnt? Okay, done is enjoyed. Burnt goes in the trash. Okay, so because it's, it's completely uneditable. Um, so edible. So the idea here, man, I love making up my own words and I do that all the time. And so uh, th th this, this sacrifice could not be eaten. All right. And so uh, it is completely burnt again, which is signifying dedication unto God. I completely, holy, the blood, death, lay myself before God as a sacrifice of complete, utter dedication, nothing to be removed. All of it's gone. All of it's consumed. All right? Get the picture? Why? The Lord Jesus offered himself, and the Christian should similarly offer himself, as it says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living, holy, and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is what God says. This is the idea behind this first offering. The second one would be the grain offering. We see that in Leviticus chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Now, this offering is a little different. This offering was not meat. Uh, this offering was uh, corn, flour, grains, cakes, the Bible says, and it was laid upon the altar. Now, this altar was not burnt in its entirety. As a matter of fact, the priests were allowed to eat of this offering. What does it mean? What does this offering signify? An expression of thanksgiving and dedication to God. It's not just, hey, God, I give myself wholly to you, but I am coming along with this, along with the burnt offering, and I'm going to give something that can be consumed and that can be used by you uh, just to say thank you to God. Thirdly, thirdly, the peace offering. The peace offering symbolizes the peace and the fellowship between the true worshiper and God. Again, a voluntary offering that symbolized the fruit of redemptive reconciliation, what comes from the, the offering. Leviticus chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now, this is a cool offering. Now, now, again, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to not confuse you. Offering one was of a, um, an unblemished bull, male sheep or goat, and a dove or pigeon. By the way, I missed this. This is so cool. Not everybody could afford a goat. Not everybody had a bull. Not everybody had a sheep. What are they to do? They're to bring a dove. I'm glad they brought pigeons. <laughs> Just kidding. But they were, they were to bring birds. Why? Because, listen, the covering of God, the covering of blood, atonement was not just for the wealthy. It was for the poor. So whether you're in poverty or you have flocks and herds, you can come before God and God says, I accept it as willing. I don't see it as less. I see it as the same, whether it's a bull or a dove. But here's what you don't do. If you are wealthy, you can't bring a dove. The, the, the law demanded it. Sacrifice had to be made, but there was a willing sacrifice available for whoever, whoso. Does whosoever will matter when you hear something like that? 
I'm so thankful for a mighty God who made a way for each and every one of us. And whether it was a bull or a sheep or goat or a pigeon, we could bring an offering of dedication before God for the covering of our sins and the giving of ourselves to his service. Grain offering, again, cakes, flour, meal, etc. The third offering, the peace offering, expression, this is so great. The peace offering was the idea of, Lord, um, thank you for what I get to enjoy because of what process has been done. It's the idea of fellowshipping with God because the process worked, right? Have you ever gone to somebody you've been at odds with, right? And, and, and you finally made right with them. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then you what? You hug or you, you shake hands and then you say, hey man, do you wanna go out to coffee sometime? And, and they're like, yeah, man, that would be great. You want to come over to my house and eat dinner? You want to play uh, spoons and, and have a game night? Yeah. Okay, so the coffee, the dinner, the game night is a result of the act that was done. This is the idea of peace offering. And if they came to him with a peace offering, it would be an unblemished bull, male or female, sheep or goat, uh, no distinction. They could bring that in a way to say, God, thank you for what you've done. And now I'm going to enjoy fellowship with you because of what has happened. Again, a voluntary offering. The fourth one, this is cool. This is cool. It is called uh, the sin offering. The sin offering. Well, I thought all of it was sin. It, it is. All of it's sin. Um, but this one was special in that this offering was for sins committed um, unknowingly, unwillingly necessarily, or not maliciously, not on purpose, accidental. Can I almost use that word? Um, the idea of atonement for unintentional sins of weakness or carelessness, an unblemished bull, male or female goat or bull. The, the idea here, excuse me, female goat, is, is, is that the sacrifice of Jesus' sin doesn't wash away some sins, it washes away all sins. And I've heard people say this, but pastor, I mean, what's the big deal? I'm not really a bad person. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I've told white lies. I've literally had parents bring their kids to me when they've gotten in trouble and they've said, pastor, come on. It's not like he's a thief. He just told a lie by accident. Okay, okay let, 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 let's think about something. There's a lot of justification of wrong under the surmise of purposeful or accidental. And, 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 and the issue is sin is what? Sin is sin. And all sin has to be paid for and all sin has to be covered, whether it's a little white lie that was told on accident or it was a purposeful deception uh, in order to elevate oneself, whether it was an accidental murder uh, and you didn't mean to be there, wrong place, wrong time, or it was a purposeful life taking, it doesn't matter. Sin is sin and all of it must be covered. And, you, and you're not getting by because... Your sins don't match to mine. Every sin has to be paid in what grace for God to say, you know what, there's a sacrifice that you can make for unintentional sins, for a covering of things that you did not intend to do, but you did, and you can get those paid for. All of God's people, because all of us, all of us, all of us, everyone in this room have unintentional sins in our lives. We didn't do it necessarily maliciously, but we did. And yet God forgives of all of those sins. Look at the fifth sacrifice. The fifth one is the guilt or trespass offering. 
This is atonement for specific sins, but it had something tied to it. Uh Uh-huh, there you go. Something tied to it. So this sin um, would would have been a sin that um, I I stole something uh, from Mr. Hayes, and Mr. Hayes recognized it, and so I carried a sacrifice to the altar for stealing something from Mr. Hayes, and I admitted I did wrong, and I laid the sacrifice upon the altar. But once the sacrifice was given, in order for the process to be complete, I would have to replenish what I stole. And, and that is the idea of this offering, the guilt or trespass offering, an atonement for specific sins to injured persons and then compensated for their losses by God's work and his provision. Because of what he's done, I'm going to lay down an unblemished ram. And the, uh, the Messiah was a guilt offering for us, was he not? Not only did he forgive us of our sins, but he gives us extended grace and mercy and the Holy Spirit, his power, his working. He continues to do that. Don't you see Jesus in every one of these processes? And this process, again, included several things that I think it's important for us to see. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 The Bible tells us, which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now, but now have obtained mercy. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Notice that all these offerings for all these different types of sin with all these details do not make any logical sense to us unless you now make the connection. The connection is what? What used to take five animals for a process to happen now comes through one, the perfect sinless lamb of God. And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. So let's continue moving on onward. Not only is there a coming in through the gate and bringing a sacrifice, but number two, that sacrifice provides a covering for sin, a covering for sin. Atonement uh, literally means in its definition to cover to purge, to make reconciliation. And there are two different kinds of atonement that has to happen. Number one, there's blood atonement. Number two, there's substitutionary atonement. Both of these have to, ha- have to happen. There has to be a blood covering for my sins, not the one of thanksgiving, but for the covering of sins. And there has to be um, Uh, a substitution. That's why, ready? That's why when they brought the sacrifice to the gate of the temple, uh, the Bible says they were to do what before they ever took its life? They were to take their hand and place it upon the head of the sacrifice. And there would be that transformation and then the blood would be spilt and the covering would happen. So blood atonement, substitutionary atonement, both had to happen at the altar. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse number 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. You hear that? The life of the flesh is in the what? It's in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. It is the blood. How do we know that in our day? Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. It's all about the blood. 
There has to be blood atonement for something that is taking our place, substitutionary atonement. Church, somebody's got to pay. Sin has been done. Punishment has to be made. There has to be either you or someone who will substitute himself in your place or an animal to substitute yourself in your place. It has to be done and the blood has to be shed so it can be covered. Why? Because life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. And this blood atonement, the Bible says, was necessary. Leviticus chapter 4, 15. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands upon the head of the bullock before the Lord, and the bullock shall be killed before the Lord. Again, in verse number 29. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and and slay the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering. Jesus' blood and his substitutionary atonement. Now, let's watch this in Christ's stead. Can we do that really quick? Look in your Bibles with me. Turn quickly, if you would, to John chapter 1 and verse number 29. This is the story. Jesus Christ is coming down the road. He's got some disciples with him already. And off in the distance, there's John standing in the Jordan. John the Baptist, that crazy preacher, preparing the way of the Lord. And he sees him coming. And here's what he says in verse number 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold what? The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. I'll read this one to you. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 through 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, that means anything that can come from you, as silver and gold, or notice from your vain conversation. I'm not a fan of the word conversation. Um, our word for conversation is what be like talking between each other right now. The, the actual word is lifestyle or way of living. So let's read that verse again. You are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain lifestyle or way of living, your conversation received by the tradition from your father. So the way you live based upon what they taught you, that won't work. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus Christ is that blood atonement and the substitutionary atonement in our place so that we could have access to God. And then thirdly, reconciliation, the process, cleansing for service. So notice this quickly, and I've got to hurry. We're almost finished. They would come, place their hand on the head, the throat split, the blood spilled, carried to the altar, placed upon the altar. After that process was done, the priest then, not the person, the person could not go any further. The priest then would come to the laver. He would cleanse his hand because he could not go through the next door unless the blood was cleansed. Except for the little once a year that would be carried by the high priest to sprinkle upon the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies. And once he cleansed his hands, he would go inside that door to the tabernacle. And on his left, there would be that eternal light of the menorah, that lamp that would never go out. And his job was to be sure that the oil was replaced and that it would continue to burn. And then he would look to the right to the table of showbread and he may eat a little bit of that showbread and then then replace it, that bread of the presence of God saying, I'm always going to be here. I'm always going to be with you. And then he would go to the altar and put the incense in and make sure that continual burning and smell of service went up to the Lord. And that was the priest's job inside that tabernacle. But in order to do that, he had to be what? 
He had to be clean. He had to be cleansed. And so when we look at this, these parts and this process, it's all about atonement. And atonement required these parts, this process, and these people to do this work for the cause of forgiveness. Lastly, we're going to close with this. Not only today have we seen the parts and now the process, the process included, like I said, I'm just recapping, coming with the sacrifice, the covering of blood, and the cleansing for service. But now let's look at the last part, the people. The people. There are three people, sets of people involved in this story. And in closing, I want you to see this as we tie it all together. First of all, it's the individual. The individual there at that time would have been Israel. It would have been the Hebrew people. Today, it would, um, the best way, the best word is comparison, contrast, would be uh, us, all of God's people. Pre the cross, it would have been the Hebrews. Post the cross, it's us, not just Jews, but Gentiles. Pre the cross, the Hebrews had to do this, and many of them still do in some form. Post the cross, it's all about the work that Jesus has already done for us. But we have to come with the same process and the same pattern, not through blood of lambs and goats, Hebrews says, chapter 9, but through the blood and the shedding of Jesus Christ for the covering of our sins. We come willingly to the gate saying, Lord, I know I deserve to die, but you are my sacrifice and everything that I am is transferred into you and you are laid upon that altar, the cross, and your blood is spilt to cover my sins, and that blood has cleansed me. Therefore, now I, who was on the outside of the gate, <laughs> crazy, have not only been allowed inside for sacrifice, but because Jesus became the atoning work on the cross, I'm now made a priest. Where's all your robes? No, I'm just kidding. We are priests. I know when we think priest, boy, we get all kind of images in our head. But let's just let the Bible speak for us. Because in this story, we have three people. We have the individuals, the priest, and the high priest. So watch what happens with the second set of individuals. The priest, Aaron and his sons. Let's look together. Open your Bibles quickly. Quickly. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter number 1. Look at uh, verse number 4. Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 4 through 6. This is John getting a view into heaven, and uh, he is, uh, he's given permission to pull back the curtain and see uh, into glory for just a moment. And this is what he hears and sees. John chapter, uh, Revelation 1 verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. And, this is the second one, from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth. Now, uh, right there, we know who is speaking, who is there. Uh, it's God himself. All three parts, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Notice what the Bible says. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our what? 
sins in his own what? Blood. And hath made us what? Kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, I'll read this one to you. Listen and watch. First Peter chapter 2 in verse number 9. But ye, talking of us, are a chosen generation. Ready? A royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Church, that is us. The Bible says we are a royal priesthood. We have been made kings and priests. Why? Through the process of atonement and reconciliation that Christ did upon the cross, you and I are now representatives. It is our job, ready, to go into the temple. We are the temple to keep the shining light. A city that is set on a hill cannot be what? Hid. It is not meant the light to be placed under a bushel. It is meant to be shown to show forth Jesus Christ. How long? Until he comes. We are the ones that get the presence of God, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are the ones that get to serve him in the tabernacle, offering up a sweet-smelling savor unto God. We are priests. This is why this matters. This is why this is valuable. This is why it makes a difference because you're not just some casual person that's now on your way to heaven. If you've been covered by the blood of the lamb, you are a priest and a representative of Almighty God. And I know we don't like that word because it comes with outfits and collars and hoods and whatever and humming. I don't, it comes with so many things that we put in our mind, but that's not what God ever intended in the first place to be done with the priest. His job was just simply to do what? The work of the tent. And our job is to do the work of the tent. God has called us to that. And what a joy it is to be a part of that work. Don't ever belittle who you are in Christ. I'm just a nobody. I just wish I was, I was as smart as Pastor Ray. Pastor Ray, can I say it? Ain't smart. It takes a lot of work to study it. And I'm a priest like you're a priest. I just have a called role to stand up in front and proclaim it. But all of us are representatives of God. I just did it again. I'm so good at that. I keep adding syllables to words. Number three, the last person is the high priest. And that is not us, that is Christ. There was only one, and there will always be one. The people passed the responsibility of the work to the priest, and the priest passed the worship onto the high priest. And he would go behind that veil and to meet with the Holy Spirit of God, the presence of God, excuse me. And because of the cross, we have been made priests, and Christ is our high priest, sitting at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for you and for me. He is the one that did the atoning work, taking the blood and sprinkling it upon the altar in the heaven. It is God that does that work for us. And I'm so thankful for Christ. Last passage, look in your Bibles at Hebrews chapter five. Hebrews chapter five. Hebrews chapter number five. Right in the back of your Bible, not too far from the end. Hebrews chapter number five. Notice what the Bible says quickly in verse number five. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. He didn't, he, he didn't lift himself up for this. 
But he's but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I begotten thee. As he hath said also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This one being spoken of here is Christ. There's no doubt in our minds. He is the one that is the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end, but he's also the one that is the representative between me and God. He's our high priest, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone upon which the house is built. And church, the, the reason we're studying through this is because we need to see this. Ready? Here's what we need to see. God is the same yesterday, today, forever. We're not serving a different God. We're serving the same God that laid out this pattern for his chosen people whom he wanted to speak to directly. And then that pattern fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Why? So that he now speaks to all of us directly. Hallelujah for the work of the cross. He is our Lord and Savior. And this is a beautiful picture for us. Holiness demands separation, but to holiness demands reconciliation. And that is the work of redemption in our lives. Aren't you thankful? Next week, holiness demands adoration. We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about Him and as you study His Word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church podcast.